Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. All right, Penn State fans, you know what time it is. Blue White Breakdown, Bob Flounders, Dave Jones. First week of December in the books, Dave. A lot to talk about. David, did anything surprise you? Anything? What surprised, what surprised you the most about championship weekend, would you say? I'll tell you what didn't surprise me is Utah kissing, kicking USC's ass. Did, did, <laughs> did, and and did, you, did you watch that game? And did you watch the 43-42 game earlier this season? When I Utah actually saw it? more of the first game because uh, I think Penn State was on the road and I was watch, I was doing some work. And that game was on really late, and it was entertaining. I thought USC had that game won, and Utah came back and beat them. And so you didn't see the second game? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really. You know, Friday nights. You know, I'm not. I have a. I have a free run. I'm, I'm probably not going to stay in and watch a game. <laughs> Why don't you just say what you do on Friday nights? No, you don't have to. Something to do with Dave watching USC Utah was not one, but it did surprise me. I watched the highlights. Um, I know the quarter. I know Caleb Williams got hurt. USC's defense is like a that was disgusting. How badly they 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 play defense. It's, it's the Pac. It's the Pac-12. And when people tell me about the Pac-12's very underrated, underrated, I've been watching this football. It's not football anymore. It's like flag football. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like a lowercase Big Twelve. And Big Twelve actually was pretty good this year. Uh, but it's not football. I mean, Stanford is no longer Stanford because they can't get uh, transfers in. I mean, David Shaw finally threw up his hands and he can't he can't make it work anymore. Living in the transfer portal, you have to be able to get guys in from general studies programs who and get their credits transferable or they're not coming in and Stanford won't do that. So they are just like Cal now. I mean, they're they're all it's a it's a candy ass league. It really is. And <laughs> it is. And <laughs> you don't watch enough Pac twelve to know or what? No, but what I was gonna ask you, Dave, like I'm not trying to I want you to finish your point, but so do you feel like Utah is 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 like that, or do you feel like Utah's no. the best version of that was that's what I was getting to. They're the only team in that league. UCLA to a point is pretty physical. They can be at least. And then after that, it's just the succession of these Arizona State. Oregon State's a pretty good team. At least they're tough under Jonathan Smith, but they just don't have any players. Outside of that, man, I mean, it's it's the succession of Arizona States and Arizonas and Cals and and it's all the same flinging around. It's flag football. You're right. It's flag football. And Utah plays real football. And you cannot go up against Utah thinking you're going to have an easy way out. Because under Kyle Whittingham, they have, they've done they're, – they're like Wisconsin when they were good. You know, that's what, who I compared them to. That 2016 Wisconsin team that, that 
Penn State needed every ounce of fuel to get through in the Big Ten championship game. That's what they're in for in Pasadena. I'm just I'm thrilled though. You, uh, I'm glad you didn't include uh, Utah in the candy ass umbrella because I just no, feel they're like, the opposite. Okay, yeah. good. That's a good starting point for this for this podcast. I think I think really I think it might be the best bowl game, including the semifinals. How about that? Really? Yeah. So you're a little more bullish about going out there than you were before, because last time I talked to you, you were you were very down in the mouth about going to uh, the Rose Bowl. Well, it's not it's it's not so much the game itself. The game itself is usually spectacular. It's just it's just getting out there and then immediately pivoting and coming back in like in like sixty hours. It, it kind of you're not there very long because you got to spend a lot of time uh, traveling. It's not like you can stay out there too much longer but i just I, my worry was that it actually if it was if it was a it w- if it was a team from the from the pac 12 say it was wa- say it was washington or whoever that penn state would 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 just have been able to physically in the second half take over the game and they wouldn't really need a lot of plays maybe in their passing game they could just physically want it more and just and just do that to a pac 12 team and this is not going to be that, let me tell you, because that's what this team does to other teams. What I wrote, in, in case anyone who didn't read it, is they better strap it on, man, because they, they and, and bowl games have been become more and more known for who's not there rather than who is and who doesn't really want to be there rather than who does. And I'm telling you, Utah under Kyle Whittingham, if you don't know anything about Kyle Whittingham, he was Urban Meyer's D.C. back in the mid-aughts when Urban Meyer was the head coach. People forget this. Urban Meyer was the head coach at Utah after he came in from Bowling Green. And uh, such that he is, I I wouldn't advocate him as a human being or anything, but he's a really good (laughs) football coach. And he kind of revolutionized that program in a very short period of time. He had Alex Smith, right? And then they beat Yeah, him. and and after that, he had a guy named um do you remember the 08 team under Whittingham? That was the first team that no, really I was got talking it. About Urban Meyer had the they whipped up on Pitt in that ball game. Yeah, yeah. And then he yeah, they they were <laughs> they were in that game against uh yeah, they they were in one of the New York Six big games and then Urban left for Florida and Kyle Whittingham took over in 05 and they kind of hit a rocky stretch there. And then he got it going. He he got his got his feet under him and the 08 team nobody remembers this but they had a kid named brian johnson a quarterback who was such a resourceful savvy quarterback and they went into the sugar bowl and beat alabama beat alabama on their home turf and went they were they were 13 and 0 that year ended up number two in the nation and kyle whittingham really hasn't looked back since they had a little hiccup after they got Pac-12 membership, which I think was 2011. And so then they had a little trouble in 2012, 2013, but they was right back on track. And, uh, I mean, he's been winning 9, 10, 11 games almost every year since then. This, these guys are going to be a really tough out. And now they've got a quarterback. See, usually, other than Brian Johnson and Alex Smith, they've had another similarity to Wisconsin is they've had these widgets at quarterback. They haven't really had great quarterbacks. And Cameron Rising is another level uh, above what they usually have. He's not only, he was not only a four-star uh, recruit out of Ventura, California, 
Uh, he looks like a biker gang president. <laughs> he just pull up some descriptors today. I love it. He's got he's got the long, stringy black hair and the kind of forbidding uh, uh, goatee, and and just he, he's very soft spoken, very Cali uh, cool. But uh, he is a, he is a baller. He's not the same style of quarterback as Trace McSorley, but he makes plays out of nowhere like Trace McSorley did. And he is their unquestioned leader, uh, their captain, and he's emblematic of who they are. And he was against USC because when Caleb Williams strained his hamstring there early in the second quarter, USC was ahead 17-3 to and looked like they were going to go in for 24-3. to And I'm thinking, nah, just, <laughs> just wait, just wait, because Utah's tougher. And they, they will out-tough you in the second half. And... Once they got USC to submit, they just blitzed them. I think it was 33 to nothing at one stretch in, late in the game. 47-24 was the final. Going away, Utah. Dave, give me your thoughts on the four teams in the playoffs and, and what, what your initial read is on both semifinals. What's your, what's your big key to both semifinals? I want to hear yours, actually, because I know what I'm, mine is, and I, 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 I'm tired of hearing myself talk. So you go ahead. I'm curious. And I'll tell you what. Um, I just, uh, I don't, I just don't think Ohio State's defense is going to be able. Everyone just, you know, the one thing about the Georgia offense is it's it's a little bit more dangerous than people realize. I think this year, I don't know the way that Ohio State's playing right now that they're going to be able to keep up uh, with Georgia. And I think Georgia's defense is definitely going to bear its fangs a little bit more uh, than they did LSU in that in that SEC title game. I, I, I think that Brian Kelly is a really good uh, game coach. With, um, off the field is a different matter, but that that was, I think, a, a little bit tighter game than people realize. If, if LSU hadn't made some mistakes, Georgia's athletes are going to carry the day against Ohio State. The Michigan-TCU game, I don't know how TCU is going to deal with Michigan's offensive line. Yeah, the physicality, yeah, yeah. Michigan is a physical team, and – as much as I enjoyed the give and take in the K-State TCU game, I just came – I watched almost the entire thing. I just don't know if TCU physically uh, can hold up for 60 minutes uh, against Jimmy Harbaugh, even without Blake Corum and with them you know, dealing with some issues. Michigan's a pretty tough – they're a pretty tough-ass team, man, and, and I do think they learned a lot from last year and they're motivated. I think, I think Michigan wins fairly easily. And I think Georgia is going to spank Ohio State. All right. So you've, you've come around on Michigan, I see. I have. I have. Part of, it is, uh, part of it is just what they were able to do to Penn State. And the other thing was I, I was completely surprised by to go into Columbus and do that to Ohio State. It, I think that you, don't, you, that's not, you can't really make much bigger of a statement, Dave, than you can by see, doing that. I, I know those people. I knew they would turn on Ohio State when, <laughs> when, the, when given, given the chance. <laughs> I know who they are. I'm, I, I sold Coca-Cola to those people. They already, they already turned on Ryan Day, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. It is fire. There's hashtag Ryan, fire Ryan Day out there is, uh, immediately after. <laughs> and how absurd is that? I pretty much agree with uh, the way you see this. Texas Christian is a very spunky school they do play big big 12 football and that's kind of a problem i think max dugan is the x factor in that game 
and and anyone who saw the Big 12 championship game against Kansas State, I mean, Chris Kleeman's a really good coach flying completely under the radar and has gotten uh, that that Kansas State team to be very competitive in a, in a short period of time. And I was really kind of surprised that, like, Wisconsin didn't make a run at him as opposed to the big ticket hire they made, uh, Luke Fickle. That Will Howard, who was, who was their quarterback, was actually pretty good, and he's from Downingtown. He, he's two years older than my son, or two years younger than my son, Nick, went to Downingtown West, and he played well, but, but Max Dugan played so well. And he's the kind of guy who can inspire his team. So what would you say is the best part of Michigan's team? You said it. It's the offensive line. What's the second best part? I suppose at this point, Donovan Edwards running behind him. Um, and, and J.J. McCarthy has turned into a pretty good playmaker. But on defense, would you say anything about their defenses stand out? Not particularly. They're good and solid. So I give K-State a chance to kind of turn them sideways a little bit with K-State's offense against Michigan's defense. Because Max Dugan, man, is he's another baller. He, he, he's not real fast. Uh, he just he just makes throws, and he was exhausted at the end of that game. Uh, so much so that I, I I wonder whether Sonny Dykes. What did you think about the the lack of a sneak on third and eighteen inch? Very troubling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is supposedly an offensive coach, right? The son the son of Spike Dykes, who we saw in Beaver Stadium in nineteen ninety five and turned the turned the place on its on its head. I don't know what he was thinking. They the A gap was free there. I mean, it's Max Dugan's a pretty big kid. Push him in. It's basically the same thing as Sean Clifford. Uh, and they decided on a deep handoff from the George Perlis playbook. And <laughs> let's let all the defenders meet at the running back. I don't I don't get it. They they gave the ball to that running back like on the six yard line both times. What are you doing? What are you doing? If they don't do that, Max Dugan wins that game. And and it was it was pretty a pretty cool performance. He just did whatever was necessary. So I do give them a shot against Michigan that way. I tend to agree with you that Michigan's dominance on the offensive line is something they haven't seen a team like that in the Big Twelve. I guarantee, you. and that's going to be a, that's going to be a trouble. It happened. It happened against Penn State. It happened against Ohio State, and it happened uh, against Purdue. Like where are you down? You can, yeah, you can hang in there for about thirty minutes, and all of a sudden, your defense doesn't have its legs anymore. It's just just physically whipped, and and you, all of a sudden you see the big plays, and all, and they and they they make it look easy, and then it's like the other team is paralyzed. And I I I just wonder if that's what's going to happen with TCU. I, I mean, think so. When you go back and look at Michigan in the third quarter, if you rerun the tape and and find just the right shot, I've done this a couple of times during the season. Once in the Penn State game, once in the Ohio State game, when they get it going like that and the defense is a little bit tired, that offensive line is so good, especially in the interior. They've got a tremendous center and both guards, and they can open holes that are like textbook where guys are just they don't even have to slow down. Uh, Blake Quorum was doing it. Unfortunately, he won't be able to play anymore. But Donovan Edwards is good enough to do it. And they just go careening through these holes at top speed. And that is a huge advantage against TCU's defense. I, I don't see any problem in that happening. So uh, the other game, 
I don't think Ohio State's defense has anything close to what they're going to need. And I know, I know George's offense has had some hiccups and problems, and no one still respects Stetson Bennett, but they're a physical team. And I don't think Ohio State has seen anything resembling Georgia in the Big Ten other than Michigan, and we saw what happened there. So, yeah, I see a Georgia-Michigan final in L.A. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different, and we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Dave, it is Army-Navy weekend. I know you're excited about that, but it's also Heisman weekend. We, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, Dave, LeVar Arrington officially, I think, went into the College Football Hall of Fame. The ceremony was in New York City last night. You covered him. Just about every Penn State fan over the age of, I don't know, you know, 35 or 40 is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Loves that guy. What a player. Just your thoughts. I know we talked about it before, but uh, just w- one of the one of the one of the most physically imposing Penn State players to ever suit up for the blue and white. Well, at, at one point he wasn't as good as Aaron Gatton. That's all I, I can tell. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I ran that by Lavar about a year ago. We called him about the the Minnesota game. And ninety seven and uh, or ninety nine, and uh, yeah, he just he just laughed and laughed, and then he wasn't laughing. The thing I remember most about Lavar Arrington is that up until that time when he arrived, ninety seven, I guess it was right. Yeah, um, I think it was his true freshman year. Everything about Penn State was buttoned down, including the mouths of the of the players. They pretty much did. There were, there were a couple of guys here and there. Mark D'Onofrio was notable and that he would kind of say what he wanted. And uh, later, later on, Larry Johnson. But mostly guys kind of towed the line, uh, stayed in their lanes. And LeVar was, was not trying to be a jerk or anything. He was just going to say what he wanted to say, <laughs> which I thought was great. You know, it was this, this giant chromatic personality uh, that that Joe couldn't control, and and it was it was fabulous. I mean, you, you think Joe told him to do the Lavar leap? No, that was not in that was, that's not textbook uh, uh, defense. And you know, early on, he had the same kinds of problems as another number eleven we know, where you, you remember Micah Parsons, his early in his career, uh, before he figured it out, he was kind of running all over the place. And once Lavar figured out where to be and how to get there and a little more discipline. Man, he was a hell of a player. He started the whole number 11 phenomenon and that's, that's, that's apt because he was a complete departure from everything in Penn state football up to that time, both on and off the field. And that's why people loved him. They loved him the same way they loved Joe Moorhead's offense because Penn state had fans had never seen anything like it. And first they were like shocked, and then they were like, "This is kind of cool. This is this is okay." Uh, that's I think I think how Penn State fans will remember him. Yeah. So Navarro Bowman, late in his career, switched to number eleven, a kid from Maryland. Uh, obviously, Micah, and now Abdul Carter is another one that <clears throat> is showing signs of being Lavar-like. We'll see, but 
uh, big kid who could run, uh, nasty hitter, just a true freshman. So, um, yeah, if you wear number eleven at Penn State, there's a re- there's really only one reason why, and it's 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 in honor of of the original number eleven. So we um, should we should do research on who wore number eleven like before Lavar. <laughs> <laughs> Brent Wilkerson was number eleven as a tight end. <laughs> Daniel George was a tight was a wideout. It's not. The I same. always wanted to get a number thirty three Celtics jersey with Kuberski on the back of it. Wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody out there is going to say, you know what? He wasn't the original number eleven. I was nineteen sixty eight. Steve Kuberski was the number thirty three uh, with the Celtics before. Before Larry Bird, and that's worthless knowledge that's stuck in my head. Okay, go ahead. Let's uh, let's just end with this then. What are, just your thoughts uh, overall, just about uh, this year's Heisman race? I know we, we don't have to go into details, but uh, uh, they they announced the four finalists. Um, I think they were all quarterbacks. Surprised you at all? It surprised me. I thought so, I thought there were some other deserving players, but that's just the way it goes. I honestly can expose all three of my votes because none of them are finalists and it won't enter, <laughs> won't enter into uh, the results. So, I, you know, I don't think that really makes any difference because it, it's, it's not going to it's, it's not right. It's not going to to uh, illustrate anything about I know, the vote. I, know one per, I, I can almost guarantee you I know one, who, one of the guys you voted for because I'm with you. I'm with you 100 percent. I thought he was. Arguably, the, he could have arguably been the most impressive player in the country this year. All right. My number one was Hendon Hooker, even though he got hurt. Because Tennessee does not do what Tennessee does without him. They don't beat, certainly don't beat Alabama. And I know he got hurt two games before the end of the season, but I just, I, I don't care. Um, terrific stats, terrific impact as a player. And he had a he had a terrific season. And I mean, all the people who voted for Caleb Williams, they it's like they must not have seen the the Pac-12 championship game. I was ready to vote for him, but A, do you really want to start painting F Utah on your fingernails before that? Did you hear about that? No, I did not. Yeah, he put F U F U, you can imagine, and then Utah on his fingernails and then showed everyone. Good idea. And he got abused in that game. He got bounced around once he became immobile. I mean, that just kind of soured me on him completely. I ended up leaving him off my ballot, even though he had an incredible year and I watched watched a lot of Pac-12. So Hendon Hooker, and then as you probably surmised, Mohamed Ibrahim was my number two. I just thought he was tremendous and the absolute backbone of Minnesota all year. They were playing two quarterbacks, an ordinary defense. Uh, not a great offensive line. And he just kept churning out 100 yards, ended up with uh, 1,600 yards. I just think he's a tremendous, tremendous college player. I don't know if he translates to the NFL because he didn't really have a burst. And then I put Bryce Young third because I think Bryce Young is still, honestly, kind of like LeBron in the NBA, the best player in college football. Uh, he might not have had a tremendous statistical year because he has, by Alabama standards, ordinary receivers this year, guys who drop some balls. And But I still think, honestly, he's the best player in the game. So that's who I voted for and why. Yeah, it's weird that it seems like uh, CJ, well, you know, CJ Stroud, uh, Bryce Young, a lot of the quarterbacks now, it's, it's what you alluded to. 
it's it's tough to transition them to the NFL because of they they they're kind of short and whatever they're listed at they're shorter than that and it's getting people see what happened with Baker Mayfield and his career it looks like it's essentially over but short quarterbacks in the NFL if they're not like super athletic even Kyler Murray Kyler Murray who is super athletic there there are issues there whether they can't see over the line of scrimmage or they 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 just really don't seem like they really have a love for the game so I don't know I don't know where it's going with uh college quarterbacks to the NFL I did I did I thought you I knew you liked Mo a lot and I have no problem with that I just I just couldn't I, I number two for Michigan I thought had a hell of a year. I know he has a great offensive line, but you could have gone with either Chase Brown or Blake Corum. Yeah, yeah, he is. I think I just think that uh, the year that the year that number two had uh, was pretty special. And I was disappointed that it was four quarterbacks going to the ceremony. I think there's I think there's a lot more really, really good players in the country than just the guys, you know, at the controls of an offense. That's really not you're not allowed to you're not really allowed to do much on defense anymore. So I'm not saying it's it's not hard to be a quarterback, but uh, it's a lot harder to do some things well at other positions, and it's a shame that some people get overlooked. Yeah, and the reason I didn't put either Caleb Williams or C.J. Stroud on my ballot ultimately is that Stroud was thrown from an easy chair all year against kind of substandard defenses. They didn't play a great schedule. No one tested him except for Notre Dame and Michigan. And what did he do against those two teams? Not a lot. He had everything in his power. Incredible wideouts, either with, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba, and, and a, a great protection. And when he didn't have it, what did he do? Not, not a great performance in those two games. Um, and Caleb Williams playing against what I think are substandard defenses just across the board all year in the, in the Pac-12. So that's why. Dave, real quick, how much? Another player I considered. How much better would Marvin Harrison make any quarterback in the country? Any quarterback in the country? Yeah, I mean, and this guy was not playing. Remember <laughs> until last year's Rose Bowl, he didn't drop a pass all year. <laughs> how about that? Big, physical, fast, yeah. high points, balls. What He's else? He's another do you guy need? that I'm like. How do you not? How do you not look at what he did this year? I mean, and he he made some contested catches, and I'm telling you, he's a guy. I know, I know. I don't think he's your typical college receiver. I know there's a, a lot of guys with a lot of yards, but he's a different breed. I think of wideout. Yeah, I mean, he could end up with a career like uh, Chris Godwin's kind of gotten hurt a little bit in the NFL. Yeah, he's had two pretty significant uh, knee injuries. He's finally back now. At Penn, but I mean, you just wonder. He had a he. I think he had one before he got to Penn State too. You just wonder if how much that's going to take away from the back end of his career. Any big wideout that that takes hits like that is vulnerable to to having their career a little bit derailed. But if that doesn't happen to Marvin Harrison, just look out because he's he's a prototype, isn't he, for the NFL who can make catches anywhere in the field. Davo, I want you to enjoy your uh, your basketball time up in State College today. We will talk again next week, and hopefully we'll have some more news about the Army-Navy game, the Heisman Trophy winner, and Penn State football. All right, I'll see you next week. This has been the Blue-White Breakdown, brought to you by Live. <laughs>